Chapter 5 Paper Cuts In a far but not insignificant distance away was a room. The relative distance of this room changed constantly, as most rooms aboard a starship tend to. The room was sparkling, so impossibly clean that dirt seemed uncomfortable settling on the floor. It was a very large room, primarily designed to show off how much empty space the owner could afford. The ceiling was peppered in clicks and beeps, as lights flicked on and off in an impressive array. An expensive and useless optional extra in the room's construction, meant to make the place feel more productive and involved. The man, sitting at the centre in a chair several sizes too tall and far too ornamental to be in any way comfortable, couldn't feel less involved. This man is George Miller, currently feeling very at odds in the captain's chair of his prized cruiser at the heart of his death fleet. Like many men who'd ended up in control of such a vast empire, he was terribly unhappy. Miller dealt with unhappiness in a very adult and productive manner, by choosing and prioritising individual pockets of sadness on a daily basis. He found that he could focus on hating something different every day, and today he was thinking of how sick he was of hearing the word death. It was his own fault. Maybe he'd gone a bit overboard with the whole death naming convention thing. Death's moon, death troopers, death orders, even death community outreach programmes. Before his stint at Universal Domination, Miller had had a very short and unsuccessful career in advertising. He'd thought that by naming everything using death would make him sound intimidating and recognisable, but now he found it just made him look unimaginative and childish. Anything would be better at this stage, even calling his ships life management conversion cruisers. Miller looked out into the emptiness from his window on the bridge. Each day, that sight frightened him more and more. All it contained was disappointment. Like most men, his fascination to feel big and important within the boundaries of civilization crippled his appreciation of the majesty of the infinite. Can we get some curtains in here? He asked wearily to his assistant, who was diligently running the vast majority of Miller's empire from a small desk in the corner of the bridge. The view is a testament to your glory, my lord. Reminds us that the universe is yours, replied the assistant, not looking up. Glory or not, it gets a bit samey, Miller muttered as he popped out of his seat. I think I'm going to go and get something to eat, he announced. My lord, your appointment with your death golf instructor is within the hour. I suggest you wait here. Golf? It's just golf. Can't we just pack it in with the whole death stuff? We don't have to prefix everything. It is humble that you think so, my lord, but your subjects adore it. Do they? Of course, my lord. When they hear a death cruiser is on the way, they praise your greatness. It's just, I don't think I've actually met any of my subjects. Of course, my lord. They know they're not worthy to receive your presence. You'd think I'd know at least a couple, replied Miller glumly as he slid back into his chair and went back to his crossword. The war for Miller was apparently going incredibly well, and that was very upsetting. It had raged now for almost ten years, and Miller had found himself spending most of his time sitting in his chair or slumped on the floor staring at patterns on the wall, all the while having to listen to underlings relentlessly report great victories and praising his leadership. He'd started his war for the excitement and adventure, intent on leading troops into great battles and witnessing magnificent displays of space combat just like the old films he loved as a child. Slowly, 
wonder turned to boredom and guns to paperwork. Sure, fighting within the solar system continued relentlessly under his name, but he never saw any of it. George Miller looked at his watch. The numbers made little sense to him anymore. Living on the ship was a round-the-clock lifestyle, totally at the mercy of his calendar, juggling his time between appointments, policy meetings, and staring out into the void. Some days, he thought he caught shapes in the darkness. Shadows danced in the corners of his vision. Images that he decided were the result of his large caffeine intake. But even after cutting down on his mid-morning lattes, the view was just as unsettling as before. He felt like he was on the wrong side of a two-way mirror. Miller reflected. He was sick of it all, and he was still a bit peckish. Having lost a lot of weight recently, he was discovering his new slender frame was becoming an annoyance as he loathed asking for new trousers. Maybe the weight loss was partly due to his recent lack of sleep. Miller grimaced as he remembered that currently the most powerful person in the universe needed to sleep with the lights on. I'm just going to grab a bite. I'll be back shortly, said Miller, having comprehensively failed to complete even a single clue on his crossword. Did the caterers fail you at lunch, my lord? I shall have them removed post-haste, queried the assistant, reaching for a new form. No, no, lunch was fine. Good even. I just feel like a small snack. I understand, my lord, replied the assistant, as he completed signing off a new airlock expulsion form for several of the kitchen staff, and made a mental note to drop it off on his way to dinner later. Thanks, Pritchard. I'll see you in a bit, said Miller, as he started to leave. For a sudden ping echoed from his assistant's desk made him stop. What was that? he inquired, looking for something to break the tedium. Nothing, my lord, replied Pritchard, a little too quickly. Miller walked back over to his assistant. Someone he'd had by his side since day one. Pritchard was a shrewd individual, by all accounts. Thin as a thistle and twice as sharp. He hung over his desk like a spider, his spindly arms moving at speeds that made onlookers surprisingly uncomfortable. In a single day, Pritchard would easily get through at least two small trees worth of paperwork. Originally working as Miller's top accountant, Pritchard stayed within the upper echelons of power due to his knowledge of one of the universal truths that the real person in charge is not the one who gives the orders, but rather the one who writes them down. Look, it must be something, Pritchard. The screen's gone all red, said Miller, leaning over Pritchard's shoulder, quite unaware of the intensity of a twitch, currently a prominent feature in his assistant's left eye. I'm sure it's nothing, my lord, replied Pritchard, as smoothly as he could, trying his best to divert any interest. No, look, it, it's one of our death moons. It says it's broken its inertia stabilisation. Which death moon is that? At number five, my lord. Thought we only had three. Your empire grows in your magnificent vision, my lord. Ah, oh, that's good, I guess. Well, it sounds like some damn exciting stuff. I'd best leave you to it, said Miller, stepping smartly away from his desk and making his way over to the door, which suddenly sprang open in his face, resulting in him almost being bowled over by a death trooper. My lord, there's an emergency, shouted a trooper as he caught his footing, causing Pritchard's twitch to go into overdrive. Ah, splendid. I mean, nothing too serious, responded Miller, in the desperate hope that this was leading somewhere more exciting than a snack. Well, my lord, we've captured, began the trooper, slightly taken aback by Miller's warm smile. How dare you even think of talking to your glorious deity? Are you asking to have your fingers plucked from their joints? yelled Pritchard rising from his desk and drawing himself up to his full height, arms outstretched like a perverted vampire, flashing his victim. 
Uh, my apologies, uh, mighty leader. I've, I've been too forward. Please, I beg your forgiveness, spluttered the trooper, audibly trembling and bowing deeply. Steady on, Lance. Let's all calm down. What's your name, son? said Miller, placing his hand on the man's shoulder. Uh, really, my lord, I must protest, interjected Pritchard. Kevin, sir. I mean, my lord, said Kevin. Good. Nice to meet you, Kevin. Don't mind old Pritchard here. He can be a wee bit protective of me, but he means well. So, what was it you wanted to tell us? Uh, oh, well, we've captured a rebel spy, sir. We discovered him sneaking around the officers' quarters, and he's being prepped for interrogation. Splendid. Good work, team, beamed Miller. Looks like I've got something to watch with my snack, then. Pritchard felt several of the larger knots in his back unravel. His eyes stopped twitching, and he began to relax. Nothing made him calmer than a good torture. I'll fill out some of the proper forms and get started immediately, my lord, said Pritchard, quickly grabbing the nearest pen. Ah, that reminds me. Hold on, said Miller, as he jogged over to the captain's chair and pulled out a large parcel covered in brightly coloured wrapping paper sporting cartoon animals and hearts, all topped with an impressive black bow. Didn't think I'd forget, did you? Beamed Miller as he thrust the present into Pritchard's resisting hands. Happy birthday, pal. Happy birthday, sir added Kevin from the back of the room, hoping that this was a polite thing to say. I must protest, my lord, pleaded Pritchard. Go on, open it, encouraged Miller. It's from me and Melissa. Pritchard rather reluctantly peeled open the parcel to reveal Sergeant Stabby's premium torture kit. A meagre selection that utterly paled in comparison to his own personal collection of handcrafted interrogation tools. Acquired over many years, they were, as Pritchard would often remark smugly, an exquisite portfolio of pain for the discerning practitioner. The weakest of smiles lazily crept across Pritchard's face, an expression just barely concealing his palpable anger and disdain. It would have been more convincing if he'd drawn it on in biro. Wow, said Pritchard slowly. The man in the shop said it would be the one you wanted, said Miller earnestly. Ah. Yeah, he said it was perfect for any keen interrogator. Actually, he said I was very lucky to have such a keen eye. Did he now? said Pritchard, realising his surveillance appeared to leave some considerable gaps. When did you buy it? Oh, some time ago, back on some moon or other. Oh, and don't worry, Pritchy, it was very reasonable. Miller leaned over to Kevin and whispered loudly, Never buy an expensive gift for your accountant. Kevin nodded knowingly. So don't worry about the expense, my friend. In fact, the man said I was practically robbing him. Did he? asked Kevin earnestly. He did. So I brought a Lieutenant Lightfingers burglary kit off him too. Couldn't have done better. And I suppose that was a steal as well, was it? asked Pritchard, feeling the twitch resurface with newfound energy. Ah, no, um, now that he came to mention it, that kit was rather pricey. I think I had to go back to the ATM a couple of times. Anyway, happy birthday. I can't wait to watch you use it. Let's go watch it for my cafeteria booth, Kevin, rambled Miller, as he took Kevin under his arm. Have you ever seen a proper interrogation in full resolution, Kevin? The colours are to die for. You can actually see the hope drained from their eyes. It's truly remarkable, added Miller, as they strolled out into the corridor. Kevin popped his head back through the door. I didn't get you anything, sir. I didn't know. But I will next year. No worries. You enjoy your final meal spat Pritchard as the smile resurfaced. Kevin's head vanished before reappearing once more. Final meal? he asked. Mm? You said final meal, did I? Yeah. Ah, replied Pritchard, staring coldly at the boy. Come on, Kevin, came a distant voice, and the door shut once more. Tucked into a dark corner, the camera twitched, and with a motorised groan, 
trained to get a better view of the chair. Pritchard detested being on film. As a man of the shadows, he objected to the spotlight on principle. And besides, the £10 the camera added detracted from his signature malnourished physique. He rolled up his sleeves, exposing his pinky white flesh, reflecting that his arms were actually even thinner than his tight clothing suggested. He rather fancied that combined with his claw-like hands and deep, hollowed face with dark, sunken eyes, he must be, by some significant margin, the scariest living being in existence. Pritchard was all alone in the room, apart from the guest. A presumably fairly unwilling participant who sat slumped in a chair in the centre of the room. A chair that was bright crimson, for reasons fairly obvious to anyone who's had any real experience of tough stains. A hood hung over the person's head, and all their limbs were clamped securely to the chair. Pritchard whipped the hood away, revealing a bleary-eyed face with a strong chiselled jawline, sporting a magnificent head of hair that was naturally bedraggled, in a way that would take forever to achieve in a hair salon. Captain Harding, I presume? asked Pritchard as he wheeled a clinical cabinet over to the chair. In the flesh, said Harding, sitting up defiantly. Oh, we'll find out what's in your flesh soon enough, Captain, purred Pritchard, washing his hands in antiseptic. A man to whom health and safety meant a good deal. If you care about formalities, my name is Pritchard. I won't pretend it's a pleasure to meet you, he added, after picking up one of the many forms he brought with him. Now, he continued, I'm just going to run through a quick medical questionnaire before we get started. Just shake or nod your head accordingly. Any heart conditions? Good. Any allergies? Good. On any medication? Good. Finally, any recent injuries? No? Well, I'll just leave that blank for now, shall I? Said Pritchard, allowing himself a small smirk as he went about setting up. Harding watched carefully as Pritchard, humming eerily, calmly went through his preparation rituals. Where am I? finally asked, feeling his bravado falter. You are at a crossroads, Captain, said Pritchard, picking up a clipboard. One path leads you out of the woods, a path you can walk alone. The other leads nowhere, and on that one I shall accompany you. The choice is yours. Will you take your first steps or your last? And how might one choose? asked Harding, furrowing his brow. The answer is in your answers, Mr Harding said Pritchard, as he placed his birthday gift onto the cabinet. The captain looked confused, before bursting into laughter. Is that, is that Sergeant Stabby's kit? What sort of two-bit operation is this? Colour ran from Pritchard's already sickly white face until he was practically transparent. It's the top of the range, he stammered. I bought my niece's one of those. Came in a pack of three, with a free can of cheap aftershave. In the right hands, it's deadly. Yeah, if you're about five. I'd stop with a lip if I were you. Or what? You're going to give me a paper cut with the instructions? Right, that's it, spat Pritchard, as he walked over to the camera and ripped the cables from out the back. Then, he swiftly flicked the box off the cabinet and replaced it with his own spread of 46 individually crafted instruments of pain. To his surprise, Harding was relaxed and grinning. Nice show you put on there said Harding, looking pleased with himself. What show? You can cut it out now, the cameras are off. I know you're one of us. One of what? A rebel spy, winked Harding. No, I'm not, winked Pritchard. Harding's face fell. Richard? he asked. It's Pritchard, I'm afraid. You sure? Quite. Ah, 
Because I thought you said your name was... Easy mistake. Yeah. Harding slumped back into the seat. And what Richard were you looking for? Asked Pritchard sweetly. Well, the officer on deck four. I was meant to meet him if things went south. Pritchard nodded and tapped the comms device on his wrist. Ah, Carol, it's me. Could you possibly ask Richard from deck four to pop up here, please? Yeah, just tell him it's urgent, will you? Thanks. Oh, said Harding, staring meekly down at his feet. Yeah, said Pritchard as he cracked his knuckles. (laughs) 